And so we got to preach against it and preach the gospel. The best thing we can do, preach the gospel. That's all about today. I want to talk to you from Romans chapter 2 and verse 3. Now, I guess you haven't re- realized this. What, what I'm doing, I'm just going through the book of Romans verse by verse. And so I'm in Romans chapter 2. And I'm going to look in verse number 3. Romans chapter 2, verse 3. Now, as you all know, that the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And that's a good thing, because Greek is much more specific than English, especially in the verbs. If I say, Johnny ran to the store, okay, Johnny ran to the store, big deal. But if you say that in the Greek tense, you know exactly when you ran. Was it, was it early in the morning? Was it late at night? Uh, It gives you much more information. So if you looked at this text from the Greek text, now the Greek text is comprised of 21 words. The English text is comprised of 25 words because it takes more English words to explain what what the Greek has. The Greek sounds sounds something like this. Lagaze di tatu o anthropote ho krino tus ta krimata Prost estes kai promon altu ho tu exufe tu crima tu theu. But in English, it says this And thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things, and does, <coughs> and does the same, that you shall escape the judgment of God? So he's asking here a question. You mess around, you sin, and you think you're going to escape the judgment of God, don't you? That's, that's the whole point of this. <clears throat> well, the theme of this verse, as you can see, is, is the word judgment. So when you go home today and somebody says, I bet you don't remember what the pastor talked about. Yes, I do. Judgment. So we're talking about a judgment. Now, there's various kinds of judgment, so we'll explain it as we go on. The word judgment, though, in in your Bible, in your King James Bible, the word judgment is there 285 times. So it is a significant concept in Scripture when we're talking about judgment. In our text, the word judgment is used twice. Once it's referring to man's judgment, and once it's referring to God's judgment. And then also, along this line of thinking, the word judge That is found 107 times in Scripture. And the word judgeth, T-H, is found in God's word 16 times. So when we're talking about judging, judgment, this is a major theme in the word of God. The point that we're going to look at in just a moment is simply this, that God is concerned about justice. And therefore, we're talking, therefore, we will talk a bit about judgment. In this world, you're fortunate if you get justice. We were just talking about, you know, jails and uh, just sharing with you (laughs) what it was like in jail. And um, but in this world, if you get justice, you're fortunate. You you can very easily get accused of something, never do it, and yet get charged for it and and have a problem. But in this world, we're lucky to get it. But think about this: in the kingdom of God. There's absolute just, justice, and there will always be justice. Now, when I say the word kingdom of God, that's, that's an eschatological term, Esch- kingdom of God, 
what do you see as the kingdom of God? There's different views on the kingdom of God. So I'm not going to get into that now because it's another whole issue there. But we know this within that kingdom, no matter how you look at it, there is absolute justice. In this world, you're not going to get justice. Or if you do get it, you're very, very fortunate. We find that God judges sin. And that's clear from from the book of Genesis to Revelation. God judges sin. Now, what's sin? We know what sin is, right? Coming from the word homotan, and it means missing the mark of God's perfection. So if if you're not perfect, you're a sinner. And, of course, the Bible tells us all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. Now, in Scripture... It makes the point of the Ten Commandments. You violate the Ten Commandments, sinner. And so, you know, that's a major issue. Now, we have to realize this. When we're talking about sin, sin before who? Well, primarily sin before God. That's what we're really concerned about. But understand this. God is so holy, of such holiness, he cannot overlook sin. See, we can overlook sin. I could do something against you, and you say, don't worry about it, and and forget it. God can't. You know, as you look clearly, there are things that we can do that God can't do. One is, God can't overlook sin. It must be punished. Why is this? Because as we look at the attributes of God, that explains why he cannot overlook sin. Because what's the Bible tell us about God? God is holy. That means without sin right there. We're dead right there. He is just. So if there is a sin, it must be punished. He's omniscient, meaning that he knows everything. He knows what you would be doing if you weren't here today. He knows what it is. He knows everything. He's omniscient. God is omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. He can, he can do his holy will. And as we see in Scripture, sin must be punished. It must be paid for. Now, wonderfully, for you and me, and for all who have believed in Christ, our sin is paid for. We're sinners, but the sin has been dealt with. The sin has been paid for by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Someone explained it to me this way. Let me explain it to you. Like, here it is. I know you know this, but here's something how you can share it with other people. Like this. First of all, I'm going to use my wallet, but I better make sure my money doesn't fall out. Let me see here. Oh, by the way, speaking about money, I brought, I brought an offering along, and it's not my... Did I, did, I, did I even check around here laying around? If you look for a check, if you see one laying around here, let me know. It's probably mine, because I went, wanted to give an offering, and it wasn't there. And I, I know I took the money out of my pocket and moved it somewhere else. Anyway, here, I want to tell you this. So this is me, Don Britton. This represents my sin. Don Britton, sin. I am a sinner by nature and by choice. I'm a sinner. Can't go to heaven like this, and I can't get rid of this sin. Letting this hand represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice there's no sin on him. He lived a perfect life. Now, the gospel tells us many things, but one is this, that Christ died on the cross for our sins. So if I do this, this hand is Jesus. He takes my sin on himself. When Jesus is on the cross, he's dying, paying a penalty for my sin. All my, and there's a lot of wickedness there he's paying for. But not only mine, the sins of his people. The sins of the Lord's people. Jesus is on the cross paying for their sin. 
So if Jesus pays for my sin, how many sins do I have to pay for? None. This is how I go to heaven. This transaction occurs when I repent and believe on Jesus. Now, no matter how good you are, if you do not believe on Christ, you're going to stand before a holy God like this. And now you're going to try to explain, well, I didn't really mean what I said or what I did. And, that, you know, none of that's going to work before a holy God. There's only way, one way we can stand before a holy God, having trusted in Christ, having our sins taken off of us. Now, when I die, whether it be today or many years from now, I'm going to stand before a God justified, covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus. But what makes this take place when we believe, when we repent? And what's repentance? A change of mind. Now, we hear a lot of times repentance is turning from your sin. Technically, it's not. Repentance, coming from the word metaneo, is a change of mind. Now, that change of mind will lead to a change of your life, and you will put, stop the sinning. But repentance itself is simply, I change my mind. I don't believe in Jesus. I'm changing my mind. I want to believe Christ as my Savior. Therefore, I have no sin to pay for. There I go. I go to heaven on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's the gospel. That's the cross. But if you do not know Christ, if you have not trusted in him, then this, this wonderful Bible tells us another gruesome story. That if people live on this earth and they leave this earth having not received Christ, they have eternal life as well. But it's not in heaven. It's in hell. And I don't know, can we describe what hell is like? It's misery. And, and I was thinking about this the other day. How, how could that really be? You think somebody dies... They're not in, they, don't, they don't have Christ. They die without... And now they have not a hundred years in hell, a billion, no, they have eternity in hell. Now there does seem to be indication that there's degrees of discomfort in hell, but it's hell. It's separation from God. What's hell? Separation from God. So if you, want to, if you need a motivation... To hand tracks out. Do I have a track with me? I, you know, I, I, I talk about this. You know, we should hand out. And of course, I don't have one. Big hypocrite. I'm, I'm sure I put one here. Don't, don't I have one here? No. I can't find my track either. Now I can't find my track. You know, it's around, laying around here somewhere. Okay. Anyway, let me get back onto this here. So we're talking here about a dilemma. A divine, what I call the divine dilemma. God is holy. Man is sinful. Man cannot coexist in peace before God. And so we have a mess. So this is the story of the gospel. Christ died on a And what is the gospel? Now, if I were to ask you this question. I know I've said this to you many times before. So let's assume we're in a seminary class here. And I said, okay, class, we're having a quiz today. Get out a piece of paper. Question one, this is our only question today. Define for me the gospel. Define it. And then give me a Bible verse or whatever. Then pass your paper up and I'm going to examine it. Question, or I might, might ask this. Where is the gospel defined in the Bible? Where can you show me what the gospel is? Where would you turn to? All right, we're not, a, we're not a college class, so we're just a church service, so I'll tell you what it is. But you have what? 1 Corinthians 15. Get this memorized. You know, certain things, I know nobody, so I have memory verses here in front of my Bible, so I can remember these things, because, you know, it's hard for me to memorize things. My brain's bad, and it's getting worse every day. But the gospel, what is it? 
the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That is the gospel. It's referred to as the euangelion, or the good news. But that's the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If I come here and I preach to you, Christ died on a cross for your sins, and go on and on and on, and don't mention the resurrection, that's not a real full presentation of the gospel. And you don't want to leave Christ in the grave. We do that often. You know, Christ died for your sins, and we pray about it, and believe in Jesus, blah, blah, and that's all good. But don't leave him in the grave. The truth is, the gospel, he resurrected. And that's what really stimulated everyone to go out and share the gospel. Because the Lord showed himself alive after many infallible proofs. Again, the definition of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Make sure you know it. Make sure you memorize it. be good to memorize now, someone mentioned, I guess, in, in, in um, opening exercises, 1 John 5.13 was, was mentioned. That should be a memory verse as well. These, because it's plain and it's, it's powerful. These things have are written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. The K-N-O-W. If you look that back up in your Greek text, ginomai, that you may know. These things have are written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you can know you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So it's not something where, boy, I hope, boy, I hope when I die I go to heaven. I hope God remember. No, it's not that. You can have confidence. If you believe in Christ, if you've received him as your Savior and your Lord, and you trust in him, you know you're going to go to heaven. That's the promise. First John, with the five, First John 5.13 makes that clear to you. However, the Lord Jesus Christ goes to the cross and makes all these things possible. Now, here's one thing I want to tell you before. Actually, I haven't gotten into my text yet, by the way. This is all introductory work here. Before I get into Romans chapter 2, verse 3, I just want to say one more thing. Here is a desperate need within the Christian world and a desperate need in the world, and that is soul winners for Jesus Christ. You know what I mean when I say a soul winner? That is someone who has on his agenda... To witness to his friends, his neighbors, his relatives, whatever. He's going to have a plan how, how to get the word of God out. And I know I have a track with me. I wanted to show you this. I'm not just talking yet. And yet this track disappeared. Did you take my track? It was in my pocket when you put the... Oh, he's got the track. Okay. Anyway, did you, got, you got the check too, I bet. <laughs> they both went the same place. I'm just kidding. Okay. All right. But here's, here's what I'm trying to point across here. What the world needs are soul winners. Christians moved to give the gospel to your friends, to your neighbors. Yeah, get in the habit of doing this. Well, I don't know how to do that. Well, I can't spend all day on this. That's not my message. But, you know, you should have a track. I have a track. I know I brought it here. It's not here. My check. I brought my check. It's not here. So somebody's robbing me. Anyway, the check I like to use, <coughs> or the, the verse I like to use, it's a track and ask a question. The cover says, am I going to heaven? Just leave it right. That's a great way to start it off. Because the guy will look at the, oh, no, I know I'm not going to go to heaven. Okay, so now you know how to give him a testimony. That's another thought. I'm getting off beat here, but I'll do it anyway. So what? Now, your testimony. Do you, can you give your testimony? A testimony is God's faithfulness in your life. And all of it, they're all unique. All our stories are all different. My story is different than yours. Your, your story is different than mine. 
but do you know how to? Bless your heart, my dear. Look at this. This boy, oh boy, is she ready? Look at this. This is the very. This is a. This is the exact track I'm talking about. Yeah. And so I. I, I don't know how many of these things I've given out. But I say, hey, Joe, it's good to meet you. Hey, let me give you some good news. I just hand it to them. Now they take it. And then you get a variety of things. Well, I know I'm not going to go to heaven. Or, or somebody say, I don't hear. Take it back. I don't want to see this. Okay. And someone, yeah, I do. I just received the Lord last week. You get all different kind of responses, but it gets you right into the conversation. Asking this question gets you into the conversation. The hardest part in witnessing is getting into it. You know, I mean, if you're talking about the weather or the Phillies or the Eagles, how am I going to go from there to the gospel? It's hard. You've got to sort of work to get in there. But if you just give them the, hey, friend, i got some good news I want to share with you. Here, you can have this. And I, and I go like this, so he has to take it. You know? <laughs> am, I going to go, am I going to heaven? You're right into the gospel. And this, of course, in here it explains it, but you can explain it. So, um, now before I was given that, I was, I was on a roll with something that was good. Well, what's that? No, anyway, I'll move on. It'll, it'll come to me as we move on here. Talking about being a soul winner, talking about getting the gospel out. So I hope you're doing that. I hope that's on your agenda. You say, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. Well, now, now I would say, how long have you been saved? 25 years, okay? And you don't know how to give out the gospel? Something's wrong. You know, some, something's wrong somewhere. Maybe your fault. Maybe the church's fault. Maybe your parents' fault. Maybe the person who was to disciple you. There, and who knows? But hopefully... We do have a plan of getting it. We've got to get the word of God out. Heck, we can't be passive because the world's, you know, the world's going down. And we just can't be, oh, gosh, I wish I could. You know, you can get in there. Get into the battle. But a lot of times, too, we're afraid. Well, he's going to laugh at me. He's going to mock me. He's going to make fun of me. You know? so what? But if you know how to get the gospel out, that'll give you courage. And so there's many ways of sharing the gospel. Okay, what is the gospel? Now, what is it you're going to share? Death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So now you want to, now how can I do that? Make that a matter of prayer. Lord, teach me how. And the major thought is how, you, how are you going to do this? I know you want to do it. How do you do it? <clears throat> how can I do this in such a way that the person will at least hear me out? How can I do it in such a way that I don't make a fool of myself? You can do that too if you don't know what you're, what you're, going, you know, what you're doing. So these are things, now probably these are things your other Christian friends, Bible studies, church services, or church meetings, or whatever, should teach us it. How do I do it? You know the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's easy. The hard part is, how do I actually do it? How do I get into a conversation? I'm sitting on a bus, and I'm, you know, the Lord's reminding me, maybe I should witness to this guy on the bus. And then I underline the word, how? How do you go about doing that? Well, one way, carry these around. And so maybe you're talking to someone on the bus. Hey, Joe, um, you know, good to see you. Hope you have a good day. Oh, by the way, Joe, i got to get off at this stop here. Can I leave you this good news? And just leave it with them. Now, this one here has the gospel in it very clear. A lot of gospels are confusing. <laughs> you don't want to give them out. This is a pretty good track. Get yourself a good track. And um, oh, speaking about tracks, by the way, I do have, I have a couple of these. This is a written copy of today's sermon. So if, you, if you're interested in this, I'll just leave it up here. You can have it. It has all the um, cross-references, which there are 17 of them for this message here. Uh, however, the only problem is I haven't gotten to my mess- I haven't got into this yet. I'm going to. This is still my introduction yet, so I don't know what's going to happen, what's going on. But anyway, 
Okay, why don't we do this? I'm going to cut a couple things off here. I was going to share with you my experience growing in the Lord while I was at in, in secular college. And that, you know, ever an ungodly place. In the, this is even back, back in the 60s when I was back there. It was an ungodly place there. I mean, oh man. But, that's, but you know what? In my life, that's where the Lord had me to grow. Now, I, the Lord had me to grow in the un, most ungodly environment you could imagine. And I uh, would not, uh, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Um, anyway, you know what? Get the gospel out. Live the gospel. What's the gospel? Death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. What do you do about it? Believe. Encourage the person. Hey, buddy, did you know I got some good news? What? Did you know that Jesus was the Son of God? And he did many wonderful things, but one of which he paid for your miserable sins. Now, the guy may, well, I'm not a sinner. Then you've got to get into the whole discussion of that. But this is what a soul winner, I'm talking about a soul winner. This is somebody who has his life geared around getting the gospel out. That's what's important, getting the gospel out. It's not important to make a lot of money. It's not important to be popular. It's important to get the gospel out. That's what I mean by a soul winner. He's narrow-minded on getting the word of God out. Thinks about it, memorizes scripture, does things, takes risk. And you take a risk, too. When was that time? I, I um, what, what, this is a while back now, a while, while back. But a, a, a guy pulled a knife out on me. I was witnessing to him, and he pulled a knife out. And he actually he put it up to my throat. And, and I said, okay, Lord, I'm, re- I'm ready to come. And, and, you know, I really don't remember. Something happened, distract, distracted him. But that's weird. That's strange. doesn't happen often. But you will get some strange weirdo sometimes. If you... Pass out God's word with regularity. You'll find some weirdos. But you know what? You trust in the Lord to, to help you and to guide you. You'll talk about one weirdo. I'm going to stop and get into this because I've got a good message here. One of the biggest weirdos I ever met was my college roommate from Montreal, Canada. And I witnessed to him. And he looked at me and said, now he's, he's a big, big, strong guy. Defensive head. Played professional football for a while. He looked at me and I said, don't you ever talk to me about that again. I mean, he was angry. <laughs> I really hear I thought, okay, I'll, I'll be a good boy. I won't. <laughs> so, but this is my roommate. I had to deal with him, you know. So, so I sort of pulled back. I didn't bother him. But every once in a while, I'd say, hey, Al, you want to come to, uh, I'm going to go to a meeting today. Why don't you come with me? It was like, like Campus Crusade for Christ meeting. Group of Christians there on the campus. Al, you want to come along? No. Next week, hey, Al, you want to come along? Nope. But I kept doing that, and after a couple of months, hey, Al, you want to come along? All right. He says, all right. All right, let's go. And um, I cry at this point, but over time, over time, Al came to Christ. Al actually got saved. And, and since that time, to this day, we're like this. And Al is a Canadian. I don't see him a whole lot. And he and his wife, and my, both my, my first wife, and I said, were very close together. And he has a youth group. He has his own little youth group he does, and it's, it's amazing. What's exciting to see somebody come to Christ and then to serve the Lord. But they're not going to serve the, uh, come to Christ unless you tell them. And a bird doesn't come down and tell them. I wish it did, but it doesn't. 
So, but here's the thing. I know you get scared if you're going to share Christ you, and, and you become timid and all that. I understand that. And sometimes you're, you're misunderstood and, you, and you're rejected. Okay, so what? Who cares? But what I care about is getting the word out and people getting saved. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. I'm here on a tangent. I better get back off this tangent. Here's the text I want to talk about here. Romans 2, 3. They said, those were just my introductory remarks. So the introduction is just a very small part of the larger sermon. So that's the small part. So we're going to be here for another hour or so. so I'm just kidding. I'll cut, I'll cut it. I'm going to cut it short. But I just want you to look at Romans chapter 2, verse 3. And I'm going to break it down in little phrases. So I'm simple-minded. I've got to break things down and, and make in tiny little things, and then I can manage it. So why don't we do that? Just look at it, see what we have, and then we'll conclude for today. Romans chapter 2, verse 3, and thinkest thou this. Now, if you take that back to its original language, it's logase di tautu. Thinkest thou this. Now, what does that mean? This is Old English, obviously, King James Bible, sort of Old English. But why do I like that? Because the translation is accurate. For some of your newer versions, they're easier to read, but a lot of times you're not sure how accurate they are. King James, if you, go, you can go back and study the King James translators. <laughs> they were in fear of God's word. They didn't mess with it. I wouldn't trust the guys today who are translating the Bible. But Anyway, here's what we have here. And thinkest thou this, is the phrase we're looking at. Now, what does that mean? Put that in your own words. And it means, think on these things. It means, think along with me. It means, let's analyze this thing together. It's what you find in Isaiah 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Stop running around. Look at this. And focus on God. Or it's what you find in Isaiah 1, 18. Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Think about that. Your sins are red as scarlet, but the Lord Jesus can change that. And make that as white as snow. That's Isaiah 1.18. Come let us, and what does he say? Reason together. And that's what witnessing is. And just, even when we come here, I want to reason with you. I'm not going to dominate something on you. I want to reason with you. The next phrase we see in this verse is what? O man that judges. Let's think about that for a minute. So we find here, and thinkest thou this? Now he's addressing Oh, man that judges. Somebody who's judgmental is what he's talking about here. Now, the best way I can get this across is by giving you a true story. I'll make it quickly. About Dennis and Pat. Dennis was, was a friend of mine. We hooked up like around seventh grade. I'd walk to school and I'd walk past his house and he'd be walking to school. So we'd walk to school together and then we'd develop a friendship and found out we were both interested in baseball, and we had a lot of common things. I think, I think Dennis passed on, and I really don't know that he knew the Lord. I, you know, I talked to him about the Lord many times. Um, but right now we're kids in 7th, 8th grade I'm talking about now. I'm talking about a girl named Pat and, and, and Dennis, my good friend Dennis. Dennis was a left-handed pitcher, by the way. And you know what, Dennis... <laughs> Dennis was a left-handed pitcher, and he had this curveball. But the problem is, the curveball would hang. You know what a hanging curveball is? That is when the batter's up to bat, and here comes the ball, 
Now, it's supposed to go down and away from the batter. But a hanging fastball, doesn't, it doesn't drop. It just comes right across the plate. And it usually gets hit out for a home run. <laughs> but, he, but Dennis also had a knuckleball. Now, this is what made him a good pitch. He was a knuckleball pitcher. A knuckleball, you know what a knuckleball is? Should have brought a baseball here, and I could give you an example of what, what a knuckleball is. Okay, this is close. Okay, pretend this is the, this is the baseball. So a knuckleball is you grab, you, you, you put your fingers like, and put the ball in your fingers like that. And then when you throw it, you push open your fingers. And if you're good at it, the ball doesn't spin. It floats. So it'll come up to the batter, and it looks going like this. Of course, it's hard to hit. Dennis had an excellent, probably one of the best, best uh, knuckleball pitchers that I've caught during my, my lifetime. He was really very good at this. So I'm talking about Dennis, my good friend Dennis, and now his girlfriend Pat. So here's, I want to get to this story here quickly and move on. I'm lying, I'm on my own place here for you, but it helps to understand what I'm saying here. Dennis and I are going to go double on a prom. I don't know, 10th, 11th grade prom, I don't know which one it was. Okay, so Dennis has a date, I have a date, okay. Uh, all right, Dennis, I'm going to come by and pick you up, and then we'll go pick up the girls. Okay, so I jump by, pick up Dennis. We go pick up his girlfriend first. <laughs> his girlfriend's name is Pat, okay. Pat was a pretty nice, nice looking girl, shall we say. We stop by her house. Dennis gets out, walks up to the door, pick up his date. Now, now this is, you know, this is like a, Something we, a prom, you know, so they have these nice big flowing gowns and all this. So he get, you know, he gets her and walks her to the car, and and um, she's in the back. They're, they're sitting in the back seat. So he opens the door for her. She sits in the back seat. He goes around the other side and sits down. Now, after he sits her down, I say, "Hi, Pat. Good to see you. Boy, you look nice today." And with that, she begins to cry. <laughs> okay. Pat, what's the matter? What are you crying about? Now, you know, the tears are coming out of her eyes, and you know, she has a ma- mascara on, and it's starting to drip down her face before she goes to the big prom. Oh, man. Pat, what's the matter? You look beautiful. What's the matter? She said, my dad said I look terrible and that I shouldn't go tonight. Oh, man. Well, Pat, you look, well, before you start crying, you know, you look beautiful, and you'll, you'll be Okay. Well, and then uh, my, my buddy Dennis, you know, got in the car. So we went, you know, we went to, 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 to the prom and, you know, enjoyed ourselves and we did our thing. But um, what, what ruined the night for her, for Pat, was the judgment of her father. Now, how, how would a father say this to his daughter on a big prom night? You look terrible. Can you imagine that? Whew. Anyway, that's what was done, and it obviously ruined her. Night. And the point I'm really trying to make is judgments. Being judgmental crushes people. And I hope <laughs> you aren't that way. And, and you know, probably somebody here is probably judgmental. You get this number of people. Somebody tends to be. Ju- I got to watch it. I can tend to be judgmental. <clears throat> and, and you know, you don't want to do that. You crush really the spirit of people. Especially you don't want to judge others if you don't have all the facts. <laughs> Which is a lot of times I have made that mistake. And you know, others have done that as well. But you know, a judgmental spirit. I'm saying that because our text is about judging. A judgmental spirit is connected to your thought life. 
Think about that. Now, if you may know someone, or maybe you have a problem in this area, you tend to be judgmental. Think about it for a minute. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 tells us, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Think about that. That's a powerful statement. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You are the product of your thought life. Are you happy with yourself? When you look in the mirror, do you, hey, are you happy with what you see? Are you happy with what you are? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. <clears throat> so here's the progression of a thought which will affect your life. Here's what happens. A thought becomes an action. An action becomes a habit. A habit becomes a way of life. And the way of life becomes a destiny, all because of an undisciplined thought. What we let in our mind matters. What you let your mind dwell upon is significant because it's determining who you are and what you are. What you think on during the daytime, what you allow, what you gaze on on your computer, what you gaze on, what you allow on a TV or whatever is occupying your mind, you got to guard this thing. Because it will affect you. It doesn't affect me. It affects you. You just don't know how it affects you. <laughs> Believe me, it will affect you. You are a creature who responds to stimuli, whether it's your eyes or your ears. And so this little progression is not original with me, but I wrote it down because this makes a lot of sense. Think about that again and we'll move on. A thought becomes an action. An action becomes a habit. A habit becomes a way of life. A way of life becomes a destiny. This is what you're going to be around in your life. Because, all because of a thought. This is about your thought life. Now let me just see how this plays out in different areas of life. And I'm going to skip a lot and get to my conclusion here because I've rattled on. What you don't want is the pastors rattling on, rattling on, which is what I've done today, but I think I have some interesting things to share with you. But let me just say one, one more thing here. This thought life, and I'm going to share with you how this works in the sports world. That's what I am. If you want to know who I am, I'm, a, I'm always engaged in sports, whether it be football, baseball, basketball. That's basically what I'm, that's that, that and the Lord. That's what I am. Take those two things out of my life, and I'm not, I'm, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't appear. <laughs> this is basically what I am. So usually my experiences have to do with sports. So I want to share this with you quickly. Think about, if you're not familiar with this, the destruction that a negative coach does to his, to his team. You get a coach that's always complaining. Well, Donnie Britton, you don't hold the ball right. You got to do it this way. Well, Donnie Britton, you fumbled the ball because that... And, and, and you get over and over and over. And you, you know, does, does this guy really know what he's talking about? You know? but, and, but what that does, that destroys people. That kind of approach destroys people. And yet I see this quite often in, in the field of athletics. But it's not only in the field of athletics. Let's talk about it Parenting, parenting our children. If we as parents are negative all the time with our children, or overly negative, or overly response, you know, you, the child makes a mistake and you come down too much, <laughs> you know, you're going to do some damage to your kid. So we need to be very careful about this, that we're not too judgmental and harsh as parents. Hey, what, uh, think about a pastor. 
Take the same thing as a pastor. You get a pastor who's judgmental. Oh, you've got a problem. But you know what? I have to watch that myself. I've done that and wrongly, and I've learned over the years. But you have to be careful. But if you get a pastor who's judgmental, it comes out in the sermons. I mean, uh, let me tell you. Can I tell you the story of pastor? What's the pastor's name? I can see his face. Uh, his daughter was Marty. What was her pastor? Anyway, it doesn't matter. I can't remember his name. This is back in Kentucky when I was a student at the University of Kentucky. That's when I started to grow my faith and knowledge of Christ. So my girlfriend later became my wife. Not Vicki, but my wife before her. Her best friend was the daughter of the pastor. So they were always close together. And, and occasionally, we, 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 we get together with, with my girlfriend at that time, Faye, who later became my wife, and, and, and um, the daughter of the pastor and the pastor. Uh, we would get together occasionally, and the pastor, believe it or not, was always negative. No matter what something was said, you know, he would comment on it and then get to a negative point of view. But this would go on regularly. And I also noticed that the girlfriend to my, to my future wife... She was negative too, <laughs> and you see, you, you feed this you, this negativity. You can feed it on to your children. You feed it, and if you're a pastor, and you're negative about everything, you're going to pass that on to your church. But all, then you're going to have a judgmental church, and that's not good because you know what they're going to do? Judge you, <laughs> and you're going to be out of there soon. <laughs> but you, but you have to watch it. I have to watch this as a pastor and, and church leaders. Guard against this being negative. Now, yes, you, there are times you have to call a spade a spade. You got to, but that can't be just your regular way of life. Always complaining, always down, always blaming somebody else. You got to watch that. Or let me give you one other example here. What about a negative husband, or I could say a negative wife? Either way. And I've seen this go both ways. You know, in, in many years of counseling, marriage counseling, and you know, a lot of times you get a wonderful, beautiful, wonderful woman, loves the Lord. And here's the husband, harsh, judgmental. And it just crushes her spirit. You know, she can't serve the Lord in joy and happiness because she's got this dominating, harsh husband. So I pull him aside. So when I see this, I take the husband aside. <laughs> and, I, and I drill him, you know, in, in a couple of times. To let him know. Let him know what he's doing because you're going to destroy your wife. It goes the other way, too. There are times you have a husband trying to live for the Lord and you got a critical wife, and she's down on him, and everything he does is wrong, and you don't know. Oh, my gosh. I could share things with you wouldn't believe. But the point is this. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We cannot be negative people, because you're going to affect the people that you live with. Your wife's not going to be happy and joyful. Your husband's not going to have a great sense of accomplishment and want to love you if you're harsh to them. So I'm not talking to anybody in particular that I know, but I'm probably talking to somebody here. You're people. We all deal with these things. Okay, let me give you one other verse. I'm going to stop. Maybe not. Might add one other thing to it, and then I'm going to stop. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Focus on that. Philippians 4, 8. Some of you memorized this, I'm sure. It says, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think 
on these things. This is what should be revolving in our brain. Good things that are wholesome, that are just. Memorizing scripture. Thinking on, think positively about your wife, about your husband. Negative thoughts, cast them out. Don't allow negativity to dominate in your brain. Because it will affect your relationships, it will affect your life. Isn't that a powerful verse? If we do this, think if you, look, 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 let me say this again. God speaking to us, to his people, Philippians 4, 8. Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Hence, our text says what? And thinkest thou this, O man, that judges. And by the way, judges who? Getting back to our judges who? And the answer is them which do such things. Taking it from our text today. Those who do such things. And we ask, well, those who do what things? What's it talking about? Then you have to look at the context. Now you have to go back to the end of chapter 2 to see what he's talking about. And lo and behold, if we look in verse 29, we see all this. Romans 1.29, what do you see here? Being filled. Now, now you're going to have a list of 24 sins from verse 29 to 32. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, and on and on and on. So these are the things that the author here is discussing this thing of being judgmental. Why? Because they're thinking of things like this found in verse 29 of chapter 1. Your mind is on fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, backbiters, haters of God, and on and on and on. And then we find out this as we, as we read here in chapter 2. What did God do with these people? Now here's the dangerous thing. What does God do with these people? God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Think about that. God will give people over to a reprobate mind. You hear the word of God. God sends his messengers. He sends his missionaries. He sends those to minister, to help out others. And you don't listen. You don't listen. There comes comes some points. Okay, (laughs) that's what you want. And he'll take his hands off of you. And give you over to a reprobate mind. And I bet you know people who have a reprobate mind. I know some. In fact, I'm... I better not say. Man, I'll tell you what. A reprobate mind. You're going to get nowhere with a reprobate mind. If you have to live with or deal with a reprobate mind, you're in for some difficult times. So, these are the things we have to guard against. God gave them over to, and why did he do this? Because of the things that are re- represented right here. And, and then what's it say at the end of our, at, at part of our text here? And you do the same thing. He's given a great rebuke here unto the people. So what does this verse tell us about? You know, to, to look at our own life. And this is, I'm going to con- 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 conclude with this. Okay. Who can, can somebody here recite 1 John 1, 9? 1 John chapter 1, verse 
Beautiful. That was, that was spontaneous. By the way, we didn't plan that. That was spontaneous. Very, very nicely done. Very good. Yes. Think about that, people. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm going to close today in a prayer, and I want you to judge the person sitting there. No, I want you to judge yourself. Analyze your life right now. And if the Spirit of God brings sin, makes you aware of sin that's in your life, confess it. Talk to the Lord about it now. Confess it. Yes, Lord, you know, I did do this. I did think this. I did, yes, I'm guilty. I did it. Admit your guilt before God. And ask him to forgive you and to give you the power, deliver you from it, that you'll not go back to it. If you do go back to it, immediately pull back, confess it before the Lord, and again, do your best to avoid. And I know, we all, you know, we all have our weaknesses. We all have certain sins we just tend to, and we think, oh, it's got so much power over me, and he can't resist, and all that. We all have those things. But when they get you, get alone with the Lord, confess it to him, admit it, Ask him to give you the power to get rid of it out of your life. And if you do that with regularity, he will give you the power to beat this thing. And, um, and then, therefore, you can have victory. Wipe the sin out of your life. Because all these sins, that we contend, they, they weigh you down. They take away your joy. They take away your understanding of God. It does so many things. Get rid of it. Get it out of your life. Let's pray. Our Father, we want to say thank you because here we have a room full of miserable sinners by nature. And I'm one of them. And yet, what do we have in common in this room? You showed your mercy on us. Abundant mercy. That when we have earned and deserved an eternity in hell, you rescued us from this and placed us upon the solid rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we love the Lord Jesus. Now we want to serve him. Yes, we want to repent of our sins. We still struggle with sin. But Lord, continue to give us the power to repent of that sin. Get it behind us. And help us to move forward in freedom, in liberty, in power. Drawing closer to you. Being a more thorough witness. Learning to love one another. Father, I pray for the husbands right here in this room that you will teach them or continue to teach them to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Father, I would pray for the wives of this church that they would learn to follow and to respect their husbands. We ask, Lord, that you would give them fond thoughts of their husbands and when negative thoughts come in to, to whisk them away. Learning how to think our thought life, Lord. Help us to think properly as husbands and wives. And thank you for bringing us together this day, having mercy on us and saving us. We want to say thank you for this, O Lord. And I pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.